You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. And this week, we are running down the same path as we have for a week or two now, I believe on the selling side because it is such a seller's market. I'm trying to get more sellers into the market because we are so low on stock. We are in the 8,000s when it comes to property available. It is just ridiculous. So the more sellers we can get activated to think, oh, this is how I could sell or maybe I should sell or maybe I should sell with this person, the better because God, we need more properties available and so do the agents. I think the, the funny thing about that is at the moment is it's, the hard thing is not selling a property for a real estate agent. It's finding a property to sell. Luckily, we've got uh, Mark Anderson from Hub Real Estate in today. Mark, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for having me. We are really niche in our chat today. We're not talking about how to sell. We've spoken to Jason uh, Whiteman about that last week. Uh, we're talking more about specifically selling luxury product. Because that's a market right now that's especially tight in terms of the number of people selling versus the number of people looking to buy, especially given all that money that's coming back from expats, East Coast, activated, just more Western suburb purchases. Jesus, a tight market, but it's also a unique market to sell in, isn't it? Look, it is. I think what happens in this sort of market is that uh, we do have a lot of buyers which are contacting us. So, and what they're doing is they're, they're quite uh, specific in their needs and what they're looking for, and uh, and that's not even talking about their budget at this point. So, I tend to think that uh, agents have always talked about databases. Uh, this is the time when a database, when taking someone's details and working with buyers, what we're doing is we're we're actually locating sellers and matching them with the buyer. So you're nearly acting as a quasi buyer's agent a lot of the time. That's right, we are. And I guess that you know that does pose the question as to uh, who are we working for. At the end of the day, I think that anybody who is uh, selling a house has to get that straight with the agent. And it's not necessary that the seller would have to pay the agent. Sometimes the, the buyer will pay the, uh, the agent, but that does have to be set up right at the very beginning because you don't want to be thinking that hey, this agent's come to me, they're going to be doing the right thing by me, and all of a sudden, you're not getting getting the service that you thought. At the end of the day, the code of conduct really it boils down to whoever is paying you as a sales agent, that's who you have a fiduciary responsibility to, not the person who's not paying you. And that's why it's important that all parties within that transaction or, or potential transaction, it's it's the rules of the game are made clear from day one. So I guess that's sort of one side of it. If you said to me, Mark, you know, uh, we've got this house here, spent uh, four million on the land and you know, informing it on the build, we are now thinking about selling it. And I guess that's probably uh, the preferred option. For me, really, I always believe that I probably should hit the market and should be offered to people at large, not only your own personal database. Okay, so regardless of whether we're in a luxury market or the rest of the market, putting it out to as many people as possible is doing your job, really, unless specifically the seller says, which is the case in a luxury market a lot of the time, I want to keep this quiet. I don't want anyone knowing I'm selling this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. it happens, right? It does, yeah. Well, yeah. I, and always, I, I guess I do chuckle about that because I think you can't sell a secret. And I do think that you never, particularly when the market is strong, which it is, you'll never find that maximum price unless you get it out to the maximum amount of people. Okay, so that doesn't change. I was chatting with Jace last week about different styles of selling, you know, having a from price, doing an auction, having expressions of interest, mm-hmm. having a set date sale. Do you find that in that luxury market space, the premium market spaces, 
one way that seems to work best or is it more again like any price point determined by the dynamic of buyer and seller at the time well i think this is definitely a market which i would lean towards an auction i think that what happens is that being that i've been in for such a long time there was either private treaty where you had an asking price or you took the property to auction now you took a property to auction if you didn't know what the uppermost maximum level that you could achieve and i think this market we're about to head in and i, I think it'll actually move into this get stronger and stronger And so I would think that if I don't know what the maximum price level for this luxury home or whatever home it is, then I've got to put it out there to to as maximum amount of people, be able to give them a a sensible guide as to what the property is going to sell for or what I think it's worth. But at the end of the day, leave it to uh, the two, three, four, five bidders on the day. I've always said with auctions, it's not a good idea to do an auction unless the property sells itself or can sell itself because it's such a beautiful house. Mm. And I guess where that lines up with the market you sell in mark is that a lot of these houses are beautiful houses and they especially in a good enough market they Mm. will sell themselves yeah absolutely but you still need someone to be able to facilitate that and i think that if you are selling i mean when you're selling any house whether it be luxury or not if you're representing the the owner representing the house you have to know exactly every single detail about that home so selling a, a home which is a luxury home if you like you have to know every detail about it because that buyer has a very high expectation and that's probably a great segue in the characterization of the buyers. Would you suggest that buyers at the higher price points are much more discernible? They won't take the sales talk and they can't be sold as easily. They really want from you that very genuine, honest, deep understanding of what it is that's being sold so that they have confidence that they're talking to the right person and the relationship of the selling agent is just as important as what they're buying as well. Absolutely. I think they can see straight through. If you're not, if you're not telling them what they need to know, if uh, the salesperson's putting a real sales pitch, uh, if they, they'll be able to see straight through it. I've noticed that is just so much more the case in the premium luxury market, that the buyers are just that much more no bullshit. They will just walk away if they don't feel like they're in an environment because they don't probably need to buy. They're much more astute and pragmatic with their decision making. There's a lot less FOMO going on a lot of the time. Mm. And they're, they're making business decisions every day a lot of the time, these buyers with what they do on a daily basis. Absolutely, but they also know what they want. They know what they want and uh, you can't tell them that the house or the property is something different than what it is, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. One thing I've also noticed about the way that luxury properties transact, I guess in the western suburbs, which is very different to the way that the rest of Perth transacts, is on this one small point, the deposit. Now, you go around most of Perth, doesn't matter really what the price is, your deposit's probably five or 10 grand. What I've noticed though in the western suburbs, it generally seems to be this rule where you need to stump up 10%. What's with that? Personally, I always ask for between 5 and 10% and normally get it. It's sort of like you need to prove yourself to be in the club that yes, I do have the cash and therefore I, will, I can qualify to put an offer down. That's one way of looking at it. I look at it from a point of view that if I was a seller, that what I would want is I'd want a decent sized deposit to take my property off the market or stop, stop me from selling it to someone else. So that's what I think. That's why I asked for the 5 to 10%. I just find it very unique. It's something that I think is very specific yeah. to the western suburbs. Have you noticed that? I mean, you've Look, sold I have. properties outside. I, I have, yep. Um, yep. I've got a 15-minute uh, bandwidth and sometimes go outside of that. But I think, you know, what I think is interesting that people say, well, look, I'll, um, make, an, uh, I'll make an offer and the deposit is, uh, look, I'll give you $2,000. And I said, that's just not going to cut it. Yeah, but it, it does cut it in 95% of properties in Perth. Yeah. Don't you find, it's just an interesting thing that I've noticed, yeah. a very unique anomaly, that yeah. regardless of the price point, it's 10%. 
anywhere else outside of outside the western suburbs it's probably five to ten thousand dollars you know regardless of what you're paying for yeah i find that interesting when it comes to transactions in a luxury market i find that the smart money moves first and generally that smart money is the premium luxury market have you found that you've actually seen your side of the market has been stronger for a lot longer than probably the pundits have been saying the rest of the market and you know probably give it four or five months that most of the mainstream have been saying yes we're having uh, we're in a seller's market right now have you noticed it a lot longer than everyone else given that you have been in the smart money i guess our areas you know netherlands delkeith claremont all the way through it down to uh Cottesloe, Peppermint Grove, and Mosson Park, for that matter. I think that you know the, the smart money has been moving in there you know, last year. Like they've got a good feel of the market, and they know that this is the time to buy. As far as from an increase goes, I would have to say that Cottesloe leads the market, leads the western suburbs. And I'm seeing that now filter down to other suburbs like Netherlands, Claremont, Delkeith, where uh, we're seeing land values increase. Not talking about median price, we're talking about land value. And what I've seen in Cottesloe is uh, in the eight weeks leading up to uh, Christmas, it would have been somewhere between 20 and 25% increase, which is a lot in eight weeks. There's a big difference between selling a property at $1.5 million and selling a property at $10 million. Yeah, absolutely. How does your job change? Well, it, I don't think it changes at all. Uh, I think that uh, I still give the same amount of dedication to both. But I think that the person who's on the uh, who's making the inquiry, their level inquiry and what they're looking for is different. Explain so it. I would think that if you're if you're coming to me and asking and you're buying a luxury property, you'd say that the first thing you'd want to have a look at it. Obviously, make an appointment. You don't really want to go through a home open. You want to make an appointment to go see it privately. Then it's a a second inspection. Then it's a follow up inspection. So it's made up of these inspections where they're going through and making sure it's the house that they want. And then at some point within the second and third inspection, then it becomes a case of value. So they start talking money. That's right. Now, my experience, as soon as people start talking about money, that's when I know they're interested. They've made their buying decision and now it's about, can I afford this or do I see value in this? Do I see value in it? When you're at that price point, it's less about, can I afford it? It's more about, is this worth the money? That's right. And I guess the thing is that it's, it doesn't come down to the square meter rate or uh, you know the cost of the appliances. Sure, that's important. They just want to know that what's there is quality. But what it comes down to is that well, look, do I see value here? Does it tick the boxes that I'm looking, what I'm looking for? And if it does, what premium am I prepared to pay? When you're negotiating a property at ten million dollars, mm. what is the integer of negotiation? In so far as that, are we talking at ten million or eleven million? Is it ten million or ten point one? Have you ever seen it get down to a conversation where we're talking about you know going back and forth at one thousand dollar increments, or is that really out the window at that point? It's out the window. 100%. So uh, we are talking about, well, look, you know, uh, I guess to go into a bit of a role play, I can say, well, you know, Trent, uh, we're asking 12. This is That's what our expectations are. Whereabouts are you sitting on it? And you might say, well, look, I don't see value above 10. Okay, so we're close. So <laughs> yeah, we're close. It's a $2 million difference. That's right. Most people would never buy a $2 million house in their life. Yeah. So therefore, you know, then you start talking about, well, okay, so that's interesting. You know, let's just see where, where we can work at where... Maybe you want to move in tomorrow. The owner wants to move in, wants to move out tomorrow, or whatever it is. There might be other things there which may assist uh, in the negotiations. Do you think there's a level of ego, even where the buyer just, even if you wanted to save an extra fifty grand, probably wouldn't push the point to that level. As long as we got pretty close to the nearest hundred or nearest half a million at that point, it's probably where we'll leave it. 
Have you ever seen someone at you know that Scrooge, that's fickle at that sort of price range as they might be at $500,000? No, I haven't. I think there's usually something else going on. A firm believer that when someone is selling a house, they have to be ready to sell. So they've got to be prepared to walk out the door at a certain number. Sometimes the instructions come down to, the, to an agent like myself and they'll say, well, Mark, this is it. This is our number. If we can't get anywhere near it, we'll just close up and go. Well, I've already got someone that's close to it. They're only a million, uh, you know, like, only not that far off, uh, $500,000 off or has to settle in 30 days. No, that's not going to work. Do you see, going on to terms now, great segue, do you see a subject to sale happening a lot because these are such large prices? So do you see long settlement terms? Is it acceptable to have, in most of Perth, it would be a 28-day finance, 28-day settlements. Do you see it is much more acceptable given the amount of money we're talking here that it might be a, quite a lot longer settlement a lot of the time? Or actually, no, we expect most of the time it should be cash 28 days. No, I don't think it's uh, cash 28 days. I'd be glad if it was, but I don't think it is. Um, usually some people, are uh, they're moving from one property to another. Um, and an ideal, uh, you know, sometimes this really gets down to the, is it going to be subject to finance? Yeah, possibly it will be. So I, I think that if, if once the market gets to a point where it's white hot, which it's not at the moment, when it gets to white hot, that's when the conditions start to fall away. It's not so much really dependent on the house. It's really on the, the, the buying conditions. If I know I'm competing against you, Trent, about a house and I've been to the bank and the bank have just said, yeah, no, no worries, but you have to make an application. But I know that if you're bidding, I'm going to have to take that risk. And go cash. And go cash. At the moment, we hear a lot about the expats. I referenced it before. A lot of people coming from London or New York, coming back, you know, coming off of $2 million apartments, you know, $3 yep. million apartments and, and thinking, oh, we want to come back to Perth. We've had inquiry recently as well where it's, look, we're probably looking to come back in the next six months figure out when that is, uh, you know, what can we buy? We have you know, sight unseen. Have you started to see a bit of that inquiry come through? Yeah. I've just been away for a couple of days and I had two that live in Melbourne and another one was London to wants to come back. So what they're doing, they're seeing this as an opportunity. Perth property market does look like it, that it's quite young in as much as it hasn't, it hasn't started to mature to any great extent. So it looks like it's good, it's good buying. That's one side. The second side is that I think people are realising that, hey, you know what, uh, Perth is not such a bad place. I want to come back. That's a good thing because I think that drain of really ambitious people that Perth seems to lose a lot of the time to places mm. like Melbourne, Sydney and London. Yeah, It's probably a nice little reckoning at the moment where a lot of them are realising, hey, I really miss my family and look how amazing Perth is right now. The cool thing about those sort of people are they're making half a mil, a million dollars a year you know, investment banking as a doctor or a lawyer in these places around the world. Coming back to Perth, they see a lot of value and they're probably pulling their hair out going, how is this property $2 million? It's $7 million in Melbourne. That's right, yeah. And technology is bringing everybody a lot closer. Tell us about that. What, I mean, yeah. Are we just talking about Facebook Messenger videos going on or are they expecting 3D walkthroughs, the Matterport technologies? What have you found people are coming to to put there? Because there's not a small amount of money. If you think about buying a property sight unseen for two and a half, three million million, that's a yeah. ballsy thing to do. Yeah, it is. How can what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah. Matterport, the videos, FaceTime, and usually dial a friend. They've usually got someone here that they'll also come through. Selling again, if you're selling it like any type of property, you've got to see it through the buyer's eyes. The buyers are looking at it and saying, "Well, one and a half is a lot of money for me. Five hundred thousand is a lot of money for me." And whether you're presenting a five hundred thousand dollar property or a $5 million property, really there's no difference. At some point, there is a stretch for that person. That's right. Yep. And I think that when we're selling, maybe it's old-fashioned, but I don't think video is really selling the property. I really don't. I think it's selling the agent. 
So I tend to think that um, what's, what people want, people are, are information-centric, that's what they want. So you give me as much information as possible, then I can make my decision. So is that more talking about, look, you're this many metres from the river, you're this many metres yep. from the local IGA, these yep. are the schools that your kids can go to. Absolutely. That's what people care about more? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Look, I use it quite a bit. I love the recommendations from the owners. What I've loved about living in this spot. What's so that's unique. I don't think I've ever seen that. And I've seen you do it uh, a little bit recently in these web books that, mm. you've, that you use. A personal story, a personal touch of why they love living in Dalkeith, for example. That's right. Never seen that in any other suburb. Yeah. Well, I think that's important. It's a recommendation. It's a personal recommendation from the person who's lived there. It's still an emotional purchase at the end of the day. However pragmatic and astute these and smart these buyers are, yep. it's still an emotional purchase. Absolutely. And they're reading it and it's coming directly from the owner. One thing that's quite noticeable about the Western suburbs especially is that it has quite a low percentage of investment properties, therefore a very high percentage of owner-occupied properties. Do you see that changing as the market increases? Do you see people going in and going, I just want to buy this, I'm not going to live there. I just see it as a yield play where I'm going to buy it for two mil and maybe it will do a Melbourne and it will be worth three mil in a, in a few years' time. Have you seen any of that coming in? And if not, why not? No, no, it definitely has come in. And that's why I say that the land value, rather than talk about the median price, just talking about the land value. Because, because what, Is that because, of, and that's specifically because in the luxury market, the houses can be worth so, so far different values, whereas in the median house price areas, the houses are probably worth between two hundred and $400,000 across the whole suburb? Yeah. Is that the reason? Look, uh, the reason for it is because the land is the, that's the basis of what goes up. When you've got your block of land, when you see that go up by 10%, that's a real 10%. There's no, de there's nothing to, to uh, depreciate. If you've got a house on there, which is, uh, let's say 10, 15 or 20 years old, then sure, the cost of reproducing that has increased, but the actual cost that you contribute to the, uh, to the value has decreased. So that's why I talk about land value. Mm. And median price, it depends on what's been selling within the suburb. So that can sort of give, a, in some ways, like a, a false reading on what's happening. So I always look at land value. So if someone says, what's happening in the market? I talk about, well, the land value has gone up about 10 to 15%. Okay. And that's what investors generally are focused on when they're that's coming they in? Want. Or are they looking at rental yield? or? Well, rental yield is certainly something which is of some importance, but they're looking for something which is safe and capital return. Because it is really, when you're investing in a product in the Western suburbs, it is sort of like investing in a blue chip share. Absolutely. It's like buying a share in CBA. Yep, it is. But when you buy a share in CBA, you're probably not looking for those wild speculative spikes in value, right? But the paradox there for me is that this is very much a time where, especially given you can leverage your purchase in property, you could put down $500,000 of cash towards a $2 million purchase, right? That property only has to go up $500,000, 25% to double your money. It's a pretty interesting opportunity for investors right now. If they want to scale, they want to leverage as much Absolutely. as they can yep. to make some pretty big money on not massive increases in value given we're still lower than we were in the boom. Anyway, you know, mm. we're still making up ground. Absolutely. So, I mean, what, I mean, what would you think that you could get uh, finance for, investment loan? Investment loans right now, doesn't matter what the price point is, which is mm. the great thing about it. You know, you can be getting investor loans in the low 2%. Okay, so let's, t let's talk it up and say 3%. Yeah. What I think about the Western Suburbs now is that if you don't, and I, this sounds like a sales pitch, but it's not, it's a reality. And that is that if you hold out 
and in the next eight weeks it goes up another 10 percent we are basically talking that's another 150,000. Uh, I tend to think that, uh, yeah, if I was uh, an investor, I think, and perhaps across the board, but certainly when you're talking when the land value is one and a half, I'd be making a dive for it now. Well, very personally, that's what I've seen uh, in the property that I purchased a couple of years ago off of you in yep. Netherlands. Uh, yep. You know, I thought I, we purchased at a really good time to be doing that. It was when Bill Shorten had his war on property. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the election, uh, capital gains, negative gearing, everyone was packing themselves, and and including people in the western mm. suburbs. There wasn't a lot of real demand. You know, That's right. Nearly two years ago, it's been nearly two years since we first purchased that property, and the value looks like it's a good couple hundred thousand dollars more. Absolutely, and that's a fantastic outcome when you think about most people's salaries are, you know, a hundred grand a year. So that for that to just happen passively with the savings that we put towards that purchase, uh, and then to go, well, look, we're still at pretty much the start of the run here. What you could be seeing, I think. A lot of people obviously focus on the median house price because that's where maybe they live or what they you know, see a level of risk for reward. But if you really look, set your sights and you've got the cash to get in, even at 90%, if you can cover that, given the rent on these properties generally does cover the mortgage pretty easily as well, even in these blue chip suburbs, the quantum of money you could be making just given the size of this investment really can be life changing for people. Absolutely. And, you know, with rental yields set to increase this year, uh, you know, when we're having a vacancy rates of around one or two percent, um, I think that from an investor's, you know, the, the story only gets better. I think it's quite daunting for people. They think, oh, look, I could never buy a one and a half million dollar house because, you know, that's a one point two million dollar mortgage. That's a lot of money, Trent. Uh, you know, that's three, four thousand dollars a month, and that's true. But the rent on that property is three four thousand dollars a month at least as well a lot of the time so it's pretty yeah. much paying for itself if yeah. not more but you know i'm a great believer that you know uh why start at the uh, start at the top you know there's there's suburbs which um you know what they there's i think we've spoken about before there's like there's feeder suburbs so everybody is looking to climb that ladder and I think that now is a good time to be making that move in the western suburbs for sure. So to re reflect on that then, if we've got a property that is uh, either a development block or probably not a home to live in, it's you know one of the more run-down Californian bungalows in, in the suburb, yep. how are we presenting that given we are in a luxury market but we're probably not targeting someone who's ready to move in tomorrow? I had one fairly recently before Christmas in Delkeith and uh, we cleaned it up inside. We didn't paint it. We didn't put new carpets in, but we made sure that the gardens looked neat. We made sure that the interior looked like someone could live in it and that was sufficient. We had four offers within, uh, within 10 days. And who bought it? Someone who's going to rent it out initially and then knock it over. Okay, and that is probably the point I'd like to leave this on today is that a much larger portion than normal of people who buy in the western suburbs, when they're buying not the best house on the street, they're very much looking with regards to their budget to a knockdown. And that's why they're focused on that land value, aren't they? That's right. It's, well, they see it as a great investment. They're not only thinking, well, I've got to spend $1.5 million on the initial house. I'm probably going to spend another one and a half, two mil on the build. Absolutely. Mark, thanks a lot for your time, mate. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. It's quite unique when we can talk about the luxury market. And I think as the market starts to continue to move, I'd like to be able to hark back to this conversation at some point with you later on in the year and reflect on, you know, as a quantum, just how much money a couple of properties at the start of 2021 in maybe Netherlands, for example, your stomping yep. grounds, 
might have grown over this time when I think we're going to be scratching our heads going, wow, you could buy a house in some suburbs for the price difference that we're probably going to be able to see over this year in some of these houses. And I'm just wondering whether we're going to be able to fit in a helicopter ride over the suburb into the marketing budget. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, if, you, if, if that is part of the strategy, uh, I would have thought you'd be on Victoria Ave or whatnot, but that would be bloody fantastic. It'd be awesome. I'd love it. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!